My name is Tony, and I was in a cult for over a decade. And my name is Lindsay, and my sister was in a cult for over a decade. And now I'm out. Lindsay and my family helped get me out, and we have created a podcast. Playing in Traffic. We interview survivors of the Wimscog. We cover topics of healing and topics of all things about cults. So tune in, like, subscribe, whatever all that means, and enjoy the process of deconstruction. Welcome to Playing in Traffic. This is our disclaimer song. This is our disclaimer song. It's our opinion. Don't sue us. Don't sue us. If you didn't want us to make a podcast about you, then you probably shouldn't have started a religion where you brainwashed people and separated them from your family, so it's kind of your fault. But don't sue us. Don't sue us. You know who you are, so don't do it. Don't sue us. Is it Kelly? Good morning. My name is Tony. Hi, my name is Tony. Hi, Tony. Good morning. I have been listening. Good morning. I have been listening to you for a long time. Thank you. Peter, I appreciate all of your work that you do speaking about, um, you know, David Koresh. And I'm not sure if this is on topic right now about okay. the Branch Davidians and also the Millerite movement. And I've been wanting to get a hold of you because in... Our neighborhoods in Thornton, Colorado, in Northland, in Denver, there is a group. It's called the World Mission Society Church of God, and it's actually originated in Korea, but it's spreading is it, throughout is it, America. Is, it, is this the moons? Are they the, are they the moons? It's, it's very similar. To because that's that, that is like, you know, Reverend Moon was Korean. Yes, it's very, it's, mm-hmm. it's not the Moonies, but it's very similar. They okay. can arrange marriages, mm-hmm. um, sleep deprivation, labor sure. trafficking, yeah. so many, um, so many destructive things. Me and my family were in there for over a decade. Wow. Giving them all of our money, sure. all of our time. And I just want the community to be aware. Did you ever read a book on my books? One of the most interesting and bizarre books I ever read was a book entitled Crazy for God. And if, if, if I remember correctly, this was how this guy got, he got recruited into the moons. When they, when they went up to New York, I think they were in Terrytown, and they had that, that, that place where they converted people, literally converted them into the belief system that, you know, Sun Moon was Jesus. That's what, that was what yes. they hid from everybody, that they believed that... Yes. You know, Jesus came and failed, and that Sun yes. Moon was back and would be successful. Yes, and that is exactly what this group believes. Oh, they sure. believe there is this, this man in Korea named yeah. Aung San Kong, and oh, he yeah. actually already died. Yeah. But there's a woman right now in Korea, she claims to be God. Her name is Aung Gil Yes, I know. I, you know, actually, I know. I, I've, I've read that stuff. Yeah, sure. Yes. But they're in our community. They go preaching at our malls, mm-hmm. our campuses, at Metro, yeah. at Front Range. And so I just really want the community to be aware 
of the tactics that yeah. they use and, and, and really be on guard. Because well, nobody that, thinks they can join a cult, but it yeah. does happen. No, no, you're, um, you know, the cults are dangerous. And yes. um, they, the first time I ever was in a radio situation where it was a, a, a name person, you know, was... The, the late Steve Allen, and I, I never knew until afterward why Steve had, I don't want to say behaved, but why he had done what he had done. So he was appearing in Illich's, and I was doing the morning show with Bob Lee. It was the first hit show that I was involved in. And so Steve Allen was going to come to, and I was so pumped up because I was I was a young guy and watched Steve Allen as a kid on TV, and I was going to meet Steve Allen. And he came in, and he brought a, um, a tape recorder, and he had... He was in a limo and he had some, you know, handlers and, and I was so excited because man, I was going to meet Steve Allen and he turned the tape recorder on the entire time he was in studio on and off the air. So when the, and, and I just kind of sat in awe and Bob did the interview. And when we were over, Bob said, I said to him as Mr. Allen, why did, why are you recording everything that you done? And he said that his son was in a cult in LA and that he was trying to get the kid out of the cult. And the and the cultists were tracking him kind of like kind of like media matters, you know, like everything you do, they were recording. And they, they were they were following Steve Allen. And and you know, I don't I don't know if his son never came out of that cult or what it was, but that's a that's a, listen, those people are out there and they're dangerous. Seventy two will be the high. TJ English coming up, we'll get uh We'll, we'll give Alan a call. He's in Memphis. Give Alan a call. We'll get him on the show. We'll come back with everybody's calls. Hang on. 710K in U.S. It's a Saturday. You guys just heard Tony on the radio with Peter Boyles. May 6th. All of the podcast places, but he does a local radio show in Denver, Colorado. And uh, Tony finally got to call in and talk to her beloved Peter Boyles. She loves him and she got to talk to her favorite radio talk show host about the Wimscog. So y'all know she was super excited about that. All right. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to our episode. Protect your sleep. Respect your sleep. That's what we're going to talk about today, Lindsay. Yay. Tony's very excited about her new slogan. I am excited. I think it's cool. I actually said it wrong. It's called respect your sleep, protect your sleep. I love it. This is really important, guys. Okay, so this is sort of going on the whole flow of healing and different things to try. When I first got out of the cult, the first thing I wanted to do was sleep and nap. I felt like I was in this deep, dark exhaustion. And I just felt like my body really needed to sleep. But I also felt lazy for doing that. So we're going to talk through all that stuff and how important sleep is for us and how common it is for cults to try to disrupt our sleep. And we're also going to share a few similar nightmare experiences among ex-members of the Wimscog specifically, because we've talked to so many people and one of the most common things we hear is that it's not only that they're nightmares, but the nightmares sort of have the same tone to them. So we've um, asked for anonymous um, input. And so we have a few dreams that we're going to read. And 
they might possibly resonate with somebody who has left recently or has left and never realized that their dreams are kind of similar to these nightmares. But I've heard a lot of you guys talk about them. And to me, they sound almost like the same dream on repeat. It's very weird. Actually, I was really surprised how much sleep deprivation is used in coercive control in these cultic groups. It's actually used as a tactic, as a weapon against its own members. So I used to kind of think of like, if you don't get enough sleep, it's just like no big deal. You just don't really think that clearly or something like that. It's very, very serious. If you don't get enough sleep, it makes you vulnerable to be influenced by outside sources. So it makes you more vulnerable to indoctrination. And so that's what I really want us to learn about is how vulnerable we are without the proper sleep in our life. What happens when you have chronic sleep deprivation? Okay, so we've all had, you know, the occasional night here or there where we don't get enough sleep or where we stay out too late. That's not really what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about here is chronic sleep deprivation, where day after day for weeks, for months, for years, you're not getting the proper, um, the proper quality, the proper quantity of sleep. That does damage to our body. Lindsay, I actually was reading this something, I can't remember exactly, but it was something about evolution and evolutionarily sleep doesn't really make sense because when you're sleeping, you're in a really vulnerable spot where you can get eaten by a lion. <laughs> so if sleep was not necessary for our survival, for our daily life, if sleep was not necessary, then over time, evolutionarily, we would have cut that out. It wouldn't have been important to us. We right. would sleep, you know, we would only need like 30 minutes of sleep and then we're good. Yeah, we would have evolved out of that by now for sure. But in order for us to function as a human being, as a mammal, we need six to eight hours of sleep per night, continuously, every single night. And that has been consistent through all of our, you know, history as mammals. There's actually a sleep doctor, Dr. Michael Bros, B-R-E-U-S, and he was able to recognize four different types of sleep patterns, and so he actually broke them down into animals, and I thought this was really funny because for all my Wimscog people, you guys remember um, the bear and the lion and with the wings of an eagle and all that nonsense. Okay, that is not what we are talking about here. We're talking about sleep patterns. And and so this doctor broke it up into four different types of animals. And you can sort of, you know, you can take a quiz online and figure out which sleep pattern you have. And when you are the most productive and when is the best time for you to sleep, it's really, really interesting. So Lindsay, tell us all about it. So lion is somebody who is like what you would say a, a, a morning person. They go to bed early. They wake okay, up. Yep, yep. They get their full night of sleep in one chunk at night. Wolf is someone who would be like a night owl. They stay up really late. 
They sleep till noon. They peak at about 7 p.m. with energy, and then they um, go to bed way past midnight, and then they do the cycle over again. So they like to sleep in late, and then they function later in the evening. Then you have the bear. The bear is someone who's always ready to snooze, no matter what time of day, no matter how much sleep they got. Um, they get they're most done. Um, so they can do either. They can go to bed super early and get up in the morning, but they're going to be the person who like takes a nice snuggly nap. Um, they're just like down to sleep whenever. Okay. And Tony, this is me and you. I think we're bear slippers. Um, you know, take a nice nap, stay up, but then you can still go to bed at like 9 PM. Cause you're just like, whatever, I'm tired. So that's us. We're bears. And then the dolphin is a very light sleeper. So Somebody wakes up a lot in the middle of the night. They feel like they've never, even when they sleep, you know, even if they go to bed at 9 p.m. and are in bed at 8 a.m., they never feel like they got a good night's sleep because they're, like, constantly waking up throughout the night. They're just very late sleepers. Um, so, yeah, those are the four sleep types. So it's not just you're either a night owl or a morning person. There's two more kind of sleepy options. That is so interesting. I do think I'm a bear. Yeah, we're definitely bears. Here's my other theory on this, Tony. When we were children, we had to get woken up in the middle of the night to go to our babysitter's house. And at like, just like what, 3 a.m.? And our mom would had to work the like super early morning shift at the airport. So we would get woken up at like 2 in the morning to get put in a car taken to our babysitter's house and then like go back to sleep on their couch. And um, even though they all tried to be really quiet, we were in the middle of their living room and there was like a big full house of people. So no matter how quiet you could possibly be, we were, it was like immediately once the first person in the house was awake, didn't you feel like you were just constantly awake from that moment on? So like yeah, we go definitely disrupted our sleep. Yeah. And so I feel like as an adult, I crave sleep so much and I feel like it's because it's because it was like not available to us as children I always think about that like so if you have so what we're talking about is chronic sleep deprivation there's different types of sleeping there's different uh, ways of sleeping but the chronic sleep deprivation is when you are just continuously being disrupted in your sleep patterns. So maybe that was happening to us, Lindsay, I don't know. Here are the dangers of chronic sleep deprivation. And these are only to name a few. And I feel like when I list these, Lindsay, the former members are gonna be like, check, 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 check. I mean, number one, you just get a total mental health decline. Your, your mental health is the first thing to go. And you, can more easily gain weight. You have um, irrational behavior, a harder time concentrating. It impairs your ability to make decisions. It impairs your ability to think critically. And it also gives you memory loss and irritability. It lowers your immune system. So you find yourself being sicker more it also leads to paranoia and can also lead to hallucinations. And I have heard a few stories of people who may have felt 
a hallucination at one point or another while being inside the cult. And I'm 100% sure it's because of the sleep deprivation. So all of these things are really dangerous. Some of these can really be life-threatening. You know, if you're not making correct decisions, you're constantly in a fog. So, you know, I kind of looked at other cults and other ways that sleep was used as a weapon. Because if you're not getting enough sleep, these things are going to happen to you. You are not a functioning human being at that point. You're just a robot and you can do what anybody wants you to do really. And you can believe what anybody will let you believe. Lindsay, did you know that Hitler and Stalin were known for having really, really late night meetings with like their generals and all their top leaders? I never knew that. I didn't know that. They would call their leaders in for late night meetings and keep them up all hours of the night, yelling at them and stuff like that, making their plans. I thought that was very interesting. Um, and we talk a lot about the Branch Davidians and David Koresh. He was also known for having really late, long Bible studies. I heard over 15 hours he would go with the Bible study. And, and yeah, they were known to disrupt their members' sleep and to, what is the word I'm looking for? Not disrupt, but deprave them of their sleep. Mm -hmm. You know, early wake up, late nights, um, and studying the Bible about the end of the world. So also, as we know, Jim Jones, the leader of Jonestown, um, was, was known for having all kinds of late night meetings and also he was known for doing um white night isn't that what you would call it i don't know exactly what it was called but it was where they would do the the practice drills of drinking the poison and those would mostly t take place in the middle of the night yeah he would wake people up he would do a siren i think it was called the white night somebody correct me send us an email if i'm wrong but he that to me was like so haunting because so many of those people drank that Kool-Aid thinking we've done this seven times and it has never been the Kool-Aid. So it was probably so shocking for them to see their children and the old people dying for real. Because so many times in the middle of the night, they had done that exact drill. And it was his way of proving, do you trust me? Because he would like punish people if they didn't do it in the middle of the night drills. So when it came time to do it, they didn't even think it was real until the people started dying. Anyways, that is the most like effed up, ooh, devastating. It's awful, but it makes you wonder if he, he must have known what he was doing to, to be doing it in the middle of the night because he could have been doing it at noon. He could have been running these test drills, you know, but why was he waking them up in the middle of the night? Why was he disrupting their sleep like that? Because then they're not thinking clearly then he can do, he can manipulate, he can do whatever he wants to do. Isn't a really good point? Isn't it like an innate knowledge to somebody who's being abusive? Because this is bringing something up for me. I was in, I'm not going to say names, in my previous life, an abusive situation where it wasn't until we started looking into the sleep deprivation stuff that I really linked this together. Somebody from my past, 
used to, when we would fight and then go to sleep, every 20 to 30 minutes, this person would wake me up by punching me, like not in the face or anything, but like punch me in the arm really hard and then just go like leave the room and go back to sleep in the other room. So it was like every 20 to 30 minutes for the whole night, if we were fighting, I would be like constantly like woken up, woken up, woken up, like to the point of like um, insanity, you know? What the fuck? That is awful. That is so abusive. It's abusive, but I didn't, I obviously knew it was abusive because it was like physically being hit, right? Like, like, it's like a very obvious abuse, but then there's a second layer of abuse to it that I never really occurred to me, but there's like a sleep deprivation abuse to it. Because not only am I like worried that I'm going to get hit, but then there's the second layer of I'm exhausted and my brain is not working. And I've spent the whole night kind of being tortured almost in a way and afraid to go back to sleep. That is so awful, Lindsay. And I bet that that's actually really common in abusive situations. You know, another thing that I that I read about people who were in abusive situations is that it was hard for them to sleep deeply because they were afraid of what was going on around them. True. You know, like it does put you in a vulnerable state. So if you're in a dangerous physical space, you're not going to want to fall into a deep sleep. You're not going to, you're not going to feel safe. You're always going to be on alert and on guard. So that is, and then sleep deprivation just creates a whole, like you just read, it creates a whole set of like psychological disruptions for yourself. So then you're not thinking clearly. You're really not like realizing that you're even in this scenario. It's like you can, you're like hallucinating a little bit. That's crazy. But it makes you think about the whole population, especially in America, how many of us are chronically sleep deprived. But because of our work, because of our abusive situation, because of a cult, something like that. I would be curious to know if those sorts of tactics of torture are innate in somebody who is just abusive. That's very interesting. Are people good and evil? I mean, is that good? does it boil down to that? I don't think so. Or does violence beget violence begets violence? Certain bad people do know that sleep deprivation can be used as a weapon. They do know that because it was studied you know, from the Chinese communists and it was studied during um, the Nazi movement, right? So bad guys know this stuff. I mean, these are just a handful of examples that I saw, but you can see in every single coercive control, quote unquote, cult group, abusive situation, you can see some way or another that sleep is being controlled or used And so we've really, really, that's why I wanted to say, respect your sleep, protect your sleep, because it is literally protecting your mental health and it's allowing your brain to make good decisions for your, the rest of your life, but in the Wimscog, so it doesn't happen immediately. Obviously they're, you know, you don't get baptized and then, you know, they're like, say till midnight, wake up at 5am. It's a gradual thing, but I was thinking about it, no matter what time of year that you get baptized within a month or two you're gonna run into a feast and a feast is for every single member every single member 
from the baby to the 80 year old, 90 year old, every single member where they have to show up for 5 a.m. service. But what that really means for a faithful member is to be there at 445. So you have to be there at 445 dressed in your whole banker outfit, okay? You're not like coming in your pajamas. Even the kids, they're not coming in their pajamas. They're coming in their full suits most of the time, the, the ones with good faith, quote unquote. So you're coming for 5 a.m. And this will last between seven to 10 days, every single day, 5 a.m. service and then an 8 p.m. service. And it's so repetitive and you know exactly what's coming. Um, you're reading out of the same books. You're singing the same songs. You're doing the same prayers. It's very repetitive. It's almost like you're put into like a trance-like state, especially that early in the morning. And then you have to go back home and go about your day, go to school, go to work, yada, 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 and then come back again at eight o'clock. But also you're supposed to go preaching in between that time. Um, so these are for every single member. So at this point, every single member three times a year is having their sleep disrupted like this at the minimal. And that's just for the regular members. But then as you become a leader, that's when it becomes more severe. So like you'll be asked to go for to a trip to Korea, which is considered a great blessing. Okay. And it's an amazing experience. It was, you know, one of some of the best experiences of my life and also some of the worst. That's why it's extremely confusing, but I'm working through that in therapy. Anyway, um, you, it takes like almost 24 hours to get there. And then you show up and they're in your face and you're expected to be happy and meet God. And then you're in a whirlwind for 10 days. And then you come back, Lindsay, and you are not allowed to have any time to rest after that. They expect you to come back. And then you have to prove that you're full of the Holy Spirit. So you have to come back. You have to give fragrance. You have to stand up in front of the whole church and talk about how blessed you are, how amazing mother is. And then you have to immediately start preaching and bearing fruit. Like you're not even allowed like a day or two to rest. You just have to immediately go into work mode. Did they, I know that they do this. Um, we talked about this on the last episode about fasting. And how mother has fasted for 40 days or whatever. Did they do something similar with the teachings about sleep? Oh, they my God. So so that's another thing, Lindsay. Actually, I want to read you something. Can I read you something? I would love to this hear it. This is from Dr. Stephen Hassan's book, Combating Cult Mind Control. This is um, in his chapter about cult assessment, how to protect yourself. Okay. And... Here, I just want to read you one little paragraph, and it reminds me of what you said. Once a person becomes a member, his sleep patterns often change significantly. Sleep deprivation is common in many destructive cults. Anyone who has ever experienced several sleepless nights or has had to stay up all night to work or study will remember the difficulty of functioning normally without adequate sleep. Many cult groups make sure that members have only three to five hours of sleep each night. It is not that such groups have a written policy to that effect. Most groups don't. They merely make sure that the person is overworked as to have little time to sleep. They also make sure constantly to praise leaders who are sleeping very little and belittle people who are sleeping too much. In time, members learn to sleep a minimum amount. So absolutely, the leaders who slept the least were the highest up in power. If you slept more, you were seen as having weak faith. I, I'll share a story. 
Um, I was a house church leader in Pueblo and there was a deaconess in Colorado Springs and she was a deaconess everybody loved, everybody looked up to. She barely slept. In reality, she had to have slept sometime. But anyway, the sister who was my helper in Pueblo, after a 5 a.m. service, I went back to sleep because I had to get my son to school in a few hours and I wanted to catch a few hours of sleep. She was like, oh, Deaconess from Colorado Springs, she doesn't go back to sleep. She just stays awake and she just does church work every day. And I was like, well, I do not. <laughs> I just, I could not function because we had stayed up until one or two in the morning the night before. And then we had just had all the members to the church for 5 a.m. service. And it's just. I don't know how you functioned. You don't. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know how you did it for as long as you did, because you and I have a very similar sleep pattern. Um, and I just feel like I would just die. <laughs> I you feel, like, feel fall, like just fall over. I don't know. You feel like you're really going crazy. I remember times when I just could never collect or gather my thoughts. And I would think, oh, my God, I'm so sinful. I'm so wicked. Why can't I get my shit together? You know, but outwardly, you look like you have it all put together. I think I realized that I was able to keep it up until I got a job where I was working 40 hours a week having two children and I just couldn't and having a marriage where my husband went in the cult and then I got sick and my body shut down and said you cannot do this anymore I want to I want to ex- oh, I'm sorry go ahead no I was just um I'm trying to think where, where did you work when you I worked at um I don't want to say that the heart uh, you know- I was in the customer service with the heart um place they made heart I had I had a panic attack at work. The ambulance had to come and take me away. And I didn't think it was a panic attack. I thought I was having a heart attack. And it, it took me a long time until I realized that was a panic attack. And probably from exhaustion, too. I want to explain a little bit about what it's like on the day-to-day. Not just for regular members, but gospel workers. Because you would come to church and then you would preach until about 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock. And then that's when the real stuff happens. You would have seminars and then you would have, those would be like day long meetings, um, but you would also have, or indoctrination times. Um, Then you would have after preaching, everybody goes home. Those are the serious rebuke meetings where you get called in individually one by one. And I think those really mess with you because you're about ready to go home. You're so tired. And then all of a sudden, pastor calls you to his office and all you do is you see maybe a missionary or a deacon deaconess there and you're like oh shit and this meeting Lindsay it can last 15 minutes up to two to three hours it could be about construction it could be about a a bible verse it could be literally about any anything in the whole fucking planet but in that moment it is the most important thing And your kid is in the playroom sleeping, but you have to stay there. You have to stay there. Like there is no thought in your mind that you're going to get up and leave this meeting. It's very serious. It's very scary. That's when all the rebuking happens. Everybody's dressed in their serious banker clothes. And so I think that them keeping you on your toes like that, you're just constantly in this state of paranoia, exhaustion, 
and and you're just following along because you're not thinking at all. You're not thinking at all. And then there's other meetings. These meetings happen, I don't know, every few weeks, maybe once a month. And these are where all the group leaders come together. It's a scheduled meeting, but it's still going to be probably 8, 9 p.m. starting time on a Sunday night. That's going to be the starting time. And that's when you, because you prepared all day, you went preaching and everything, you did Bible studies, but then you also had to prepare your PowerPoint presentation, your speech, your clothes, everything, uh, the food, you have to get all the food ready. Okay, so then you have the meeting. It's very serious. Sisters are wearing their veils to pray. Um, it's a very serious tone because it's a godly meeting. Uh, you're wearing your banker clothes, like I mentioned. And when I think about this, it's something, it's like, I want to explain it right. This also happens during service time. This is very common during service time. When you're in a group-like setting like that and you know what's coming, because after a while you just know, you get into this repetition, you know which song you're going to sing, you know who's going to who's gonna pray and what their style of prayer is, you know when to say amen. It's almost like a pulse, Lindsay, like a it's almost like a pulse going through the whole entire group of people. So you know what's happening next. And so when you sit down for service or for these meetings, for example, not the scary rebuke meetings, because you're really alert in those ones, but these are the meetings where you really know what's coming. It's, it feels like you're almost in a trance. You get, you're so tired, your eyelids kind of start to fall. It's like you can still hear what's going on, but but your your mind is shut off and you're resting in a way. It feels torturous. I fucking I hate that feeling. It's like you're almost awake, almost asleep. But you can't fall asleep because if you fall asleep, they will shame you. Everybody will rebuke you. They'll call you out and then there'll be like this 20-minute rebuke about how you're so weak, you know, your body is so weak, your spirit needs to overcome your body. But it's... Would they would they pinch adults in a oh. situation like that? Or is that only what they would do to kids? Oh, you would pinch yourself or because you don't, because it doesn't feel good. It feels awful. Um, or you would, because you also, you don't want to get caught. You would pinch your sister to try to help her, like, Come on, sister. Come on, let's wake up. Something like that. Um, but I was thinking about it really when I was thinking about this episode. I was thinking about the Korean sisters. They are so sleep deprived. And as soon as they sit down for service, Lindsay, they are falling asleep. And there were so many times I would just let them because it's like, God, that's the only time. When you sit down for service, it's literally the only time <laughs> that your body can just shut down for a moment. Do you think that the pastors like wait till you guys leave and then they sleep all day while you're out preaching? Or do you think that they're sleep deprived too? I mean, is everybody just running on zero? The pastors, there were many times when I did not see the pastor in the middle of the afternoon. I think that he would nap. Yeah, bro, they're definitely sleeping so that they can stay up at those 1 a.m. meetings. When you get on the bus to go preaching when you get into somebody's car to go preaching you immediately fall asleep every time my son would get in the car he would immediately sleep 
it's like anytime you can get sleep, that's when you're going to do it. But I just think it's very interesting, you know, when everybody's in the group together, everybody is feeling this exhaustion, but they're fighting it with everything that they have. Tony, I've actually heard audio, and I don't know if this is the trance-like sound that you're talking about, but I've heard an audio of you guys all in the meeting. It's in the Denver church, and everybody's going, amen, amen, and it's yes. like visualizing you all sleep deprived and having this like robotic response to, um, I can hear you guys doing it. I, I've never seen you guys do it, but I can hear it in my head. Yes, yes, that's what it is. When you have a baby, it's sort of the similar experience. Um, I just feel like if you're, if you've ever had a baby and you've been sleep deprived, I mean, we all know, all parents know that feeling of, uh, the desperation, the, I think, I think knowing what the side effects are for you specifically, because I know they're different, right? Like something that I didn't know about myself until my like late twenties. And I wish I would have really tuned into this earlier was that um, sleep deprivation and not to this extreme, right? Like I've never been kept up for months and months and months or years on end like this. But my tiny little amount of it, like via like having children and, you know, the one time I did drugs in high school and stayed up for a few days um, and never did it again because I freaking hated that feeling. I thought my brain had a hole in it. Anyways, so don't do drugs, guys. That's um, don't do drugs that keep you awake for days. Those are stupid drugs. Anyways, what was I saying? Um, knowing how that affects you personally, I think is really important. So for me, I get so emotional like anything can make me cry and it's not until I'm in that like sobbing meltdown that I'm like oh it's been a few days and I haven't been sleeping good or um you know I'm nursing my baby and I've been sleep deprived for the last three months right like of course I'm crying I love that I think all of us should be aware that of what sleep sleep deprivation will do to us. That way, when we do have a baby and we are not getting our recommended sleep during those times, we can be gentle to ourselves and we can understand that it's because we're not getting our amount of sleep. I wish that I would have known that before I had had a baby, that I was not gonna be getting sleep. You know, people always say, oh, enjoy your sleep. Enjoy your sleep before the baby gets here. But nobody explains what not sleeping does to you. Yeah. And so if you can just be aware of that and not think that you're going crazy, I think that that will be really helpful. Yeah. And it's easy to say, like, everybody needs six to eight hours of sleep a night. But, like, we're all human beings in in an unperfect world. We're like, obviously, that's not going to happen for us. Not every night you're going to get six to eight hours of sleep. So just knowing yourself well enough to say, oh, I feel this way because I haven't had enough sleep and not because like I'm going crazy or I'm a bad person or yes, I don't know. I'm a sinner. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, you're not exactly. You're so another thing that we wanted to talk about was how most of us survivors of the Wimscog and of many cult groups suffer from nightmares. And I actually came across a really interesting article and I just like to read a little piece. And I, I actually, I wanna link this article to our, um, to our show notes 
because this whole entire article was mind blowing. It was it was really good. But this specific part about PTSD for cult survivors was really good. So this is an article um, from the ICSA, International Cultic Studies Association. It's a really good website to find a lot of good resources. Um, the name of the article is Unique Characteristics of Post-Cult Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder and Suggested Therapeutic Approaches. It's a very good long article. But there was this little part about intrusion that I really want to read. Generic complex PTSD intrusion. Depicted intrusion as long after the danger is past. Traumatized people relive the event as though it were continually recurring in the present. As a result of triggers, which are seemingly insignificant reminders of the trauma, the traumatic moment instantly bursts into consciousness and the traumatized persons experience them either as flashbacks during waking states or as traumatic nightmares while they are asleep. What is significant about these flashbacks and nightmares is that because they have become encrypted into a specific form of memory, implicit memory, where they are stored as graphic images and sensations without context and verbal narrative, they recur with the emotional intensity of the original event and with a heightened reality. The consequence of this for the traumatized person is one of never feeling safe because triggers can occur in what are normally safe environments. So when I speak to former members and they talk about nightmares, we feel them very intensely. They feel so real. And then when we wake up and go about our day, they stay with us throughout the entire day like looming over us. And when I read that, that made a lot of sense because, you know, we're receiving a lot of abuse that's affecting us in a nonverbal way. And so it's coming out, you know, through nightmares or flashbacks and even things that we may not be able to express with words. That's something that I worry about with the podcast is that um, somebody listening for like support, you know, that we're unintentionally like triggering something for them. So I just want everyone listening to know, like, it's okay to listen and then pause and come back later when you're up to it. I don't know. I just don't want anyone to ever feel like, um, I don't, I don't want to feel like we're like making it harder for people. <laughs> well, I remember there were some days when we would record and then I would have nightmares. So it's just going to happen. I mean, Tony, I'm not even kidding. I've definitely had nightmares about the fucking Wimscog myself. And I was, oh, it's because you're receiving trauma from us because you're getting secondary trauma. Oh, and it's really fascinating. It's not, it's so interesting when I wake up from these. I'll, I, I actually should start writing them down and I'll read them from now on. Cause that's kind of, um, it's usually me like yelling it's usually me. They're not nightmares for me. It's usually me like sticking up. I feel like I'm somehow like this, like, uh, oh, you want to mess with us? Kind of like I'm like your protector, you know? That's awesome. So I'll have to write them down from now on when I, because uh, that's kind of like, I guess my my pretend your mental role. in the podcast is like, yes, like, look what they did to you. Let's like, let's talk about it on the podcast. So yes. uh, I'm going to start writing them down from now on. I'll read them. I'm going to hear. I can't wait. That'll be a new segment coming up as they as they occur for us. 
That's awesome. I love that. We actually have a few people who submitted their dreams. If Would you like to read them? Yeah. Read them? Yeah. Um, because they're very similar. Should I share my dream? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've had, I've had so many nightmares, so many nightmares since coming out of this group. However, they always have a common theme. One of the common themes is being stuck inside the building and not being able to get out. And so those have been a common dream, a common nightmare. Um, one that I specifically remember is being inside of the sanctuary, looking through my tithing envelopes and hiding from the leaders, wanting to not be in there, wanting to get out. And the leaders know who I am. They know that I have the podcast. They know that I'm a slanderer, but they're acting like they don't know. And they're acting like they're being nice to me, but they really know. And I keep expecting them to call me out, but they never do. And I can't get out. So for me, my nightmares are always about being trapped inside and not being able to find my way out. Let's see what some of the other nightmares were. These are all going to be anonymous. We don't want to share anybody's name. This is very personal, actually. When you experience, these are terrifying. They're frightening. They stay with you for sometimes for days. I want you all to know that you are not alone. We are all experiencing these because we, these are symptoms of PTSD. So I encourage all of you to get professional help if you can to help work through some of these things that we're, we're going through. Okay. This um, was submitted by a former member um, who was involved 2009 to 2012. Oh. So every now and then I'll have the same reoccurring nightmare. Usually in them, I find myself back at the church, surrounded by church members and having an intense feeling of dread and desperately wanting to find a way out. The emotions during the nightmares are usually so strong that it'll wake me up and I'm left feeling pretty rattled for a few hours afterwards. So it's the same wanting to be out and then feeling scared after. You guys, we are out. It's amazing though to wake up and you're like, yay, I'm really out. Okay, the next one. Um, it's been seven years since I've left. I still have nightmares about once every other month at the least. I'm in the building and I can't escape. It turns into a maze and the leaders are in different areas, confusing me so that I can't get out. Then service time comes. Then there are members guarding the doors and forcing me into the sanctuary. They make me go even without a veil. They make sure to give me offering envelopes to ensure that I give money. The pastor is ridiculing the members saying they aren't God's people unless they are there every day for preaching. I wake up so mad because the pastor really did talk like that. So mad because I stood so long, even though he didn't care about us, unless we were there every day. Hmm. Oh, my God. Heartbreaking. That dream is so vivid. I can imagine it and imagine how scary it is. They're so similar, right? It's weird. That's what I'm saying. That's why, I, that's why this kind of started the conversation of the dreams and the sleep deprivation. And that dream is also in the sanctuary, also with the tithe envelopes. I think that's interesting, too, and also trying to get out. You guys are not alone. We are all having these dreams. We're all working through it. Subconsciously, we're trying to get through it and heal through it. You are not alone. 
When I first came out, one of the first books that I actually read is called The Sleep Revolution. It's by Ariana Huffington. She's the creator of Huffington Post. I actually, she was on Bill Maher and Bill Maher interviewed her and he always flirts with her. It's funny. You know who she is. Look, you know who she is. She's very pretty. Anyway, um, she wrote this book, um, The Sleep Revolution. I highly, highly recommend it. She was in the corporate world and experienced sleep deprivation because of that and exhaustion. And then she realized the importance of sleep. And so I really recommend everybody read that book. Um, anyway, we should have our book club again. I really miss our book club. Oh, I forgot. Reading. I well, that's because I've been reading um, a teenage fantasy book series for the last Ooh. year. So. <laughs> I've got oh, that sounds so fun. I love teenage fantasy. Yeah, it's fun. It's Harry Potter for girls, and I love Ooh, it. What's it called? The girl version of Harry Potter. It's called Keeper of the Lost Cities. The Sleep Revolution, she talks a lot about sleep hygiene. And everybody, I recommend everybody go look up those animals that we were talking about and figure out which animal you are. <laughs> I think it's kind of like astrology, right? But figure out what sleep patterns work for you. And I recommend everybody to fall in love with sleep. That is something I did when I came out of the call. I love my sleep. I for Now I make sure to get at least seven hours, seven to eight hours I need to have. Um, I am more aware about using the phone. I recommend reading a book before going to sleep. That always makes me sleepy. Ooh, can I point out something really funny that I just yes. learned? Yes. Okay. This is something that I actually thought was the meaning of the of the of the phrase, and then I looked it up, and I was actually right. Wow. The other night, I was said, "Let's count sheep" to my son because he was having a hard time. And then he said, "Why do people do that?" And then, like off of a whim, like you do sometimes with kids, you just I just said, "Um, well, back in the day, farmers used to have to go out and count their sheep before they'd go to bed to make sure that they had all of the sheep out in their flock." Because oh. wolves would come to eat them. And then in the morning, that'd be the first thing they do is go count their sheep. And I'm totally making that up. I'm like, good night, buddy. Like, have a good sleep. And then I Googled it. And I was like, holy shit. That is actually where the saying came from. That's awesome. How cool. That makes sense, though. That's awesome. You know, another thing is, is like, I was thinking about counting sheep. Sometimes it is hard to fall asleep. I find that it takes time. You have to get your body into a schedule. So give yourself some time and wake up at the same time every day and go to bed at the same time every day, every day, even on the weekends. You can't play catch up. You have to do same wake up, same sleep time. And I think if you try to do that, you know, for a little bit of time, you will find your mental health and your healing process will increase exponentially. It will help. And it will protect our brains from being manipulated or influenced by anybody. We got out of a cult. Let's not fall into another one. And let's protect our minds so that we can think for ourselves from now on. That needed amen, sister. Did you guys say did you guys say it like that? Like, amen, sister. No, no, no. Like this. Amen. Amen. Like that. Loud. Amen. Did you guys have like good gospel music at least? No. Well, the music was gorgeous because it was live orchestra music. 
it was like classical music. I thought it was beautiful, you know, but the words are ridiculous. The words are like, we are going to heaven. We are going to heaven. And you have to sing so loud during service. And I would, I would sing my heart out. I loved it. I'm surprised you, you were in the choir. I was for a little while when it was in um, the smaller church in Northland. And then, uh, and then after that pastor actually wouldn't let me because I had like so many other duties that he wanted me doing. So did you have, did you have your second baby then? Were you being raped? Not yet. Not yet. Did you say, but listen, when I was, no, listen, there are a few secular songs that the cult does like they love themselves some Josh Groban um, but anyway um Bob when I was coming out of the cult no when I was coming out of the cult um that was when I was having my second baby like that whole process of having my second baby so I was having so much sleep deprivation uh that's when I started having panic attacks and I mean my health just completely declined looking back now I know Sleep had a major role in that. Do you think if you hadn't have had your second baby, do you think it'd still be in? Ooh, good question. I got sick a little bit before that. You did? It's it's a possibility. Because I feel like he was such a, immediately from birth, such a like hilariously defiant baby. And it made it so difficult. I was shunned a lot because of it. I was shamed a lot. And already my faith was weak at that time. Mm. Were you no, already doing it? A little bit because I had already been sick right before I got pregnant. Okay, okay. So already my body was sort of shutting down. I mean, eventually people's bodies will shut down. Let me just let me just spit a verse real quick. I just really I want people to love their sleep. I want you to love your pajamas. Get the best, coziest, comfiest pajamas. Get the right temperature. Get some nice, relaxing music. Get get a nice book, a funny book, an interesting book, a scary book, any kind of book. And, and I want you to just fall in love with sleep. I got this really cozy blankie. Even when it's 80 degrees outside, it's like this huge, huge comforter. My husband hates it. But me and my dog, we snuggle up in it. And it just immediately makes me want to go to sleep. So get those things that associate you with sleep and just fall in love with it. Respect your sleep, protect your sleep. Boom, baby.